1: We are about to break the surly bonds of gravity and punch the face of
2: God. Left (laughs) Jab Productions present Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. And now your host, Dave
0: Zirin. The schmatter kid.
3: Boom! Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide. I'm Dave Zirin. Join this week by a man who makes us all feel Ebola-resistant. That's how powerful his vibrations are. His name is Tim Horsey. Tim, how you doing, sir? Dave, that's what I like to hear, my friend. My Orioles just got
0: eliminated, so not great, but I'm with you guys, so that balances it out.
3: Well, that's a beautiful thing. I really am curious, though, how the Baltimore Orioles lose by six runs over the course of a four-game sweep. That has to be a record.
0: Deal with the devil. Deal with the, the Royals devil. deal with the devil. I, I go national league. I am not supporting the Royals whatsoever now. I, I, I was too angry after all that. Mm,
3: no, I hear you that. And speaking of deals with the devil, we have someone who's <laughs> trying to get a book published and will do whatever it takes. Coach, Kevin, <laughs> not how you doing coach.
2: Okay, that's another conversation. You know, it's not it any deal with the devil. It's just that chicks dig the long ball, but not playoff teams. And that's what the Orioles the Royals did what they have to do by Baltimore. Wait, get are you gone. talking
3: about the minor league team, the Memphis Chicks? They dig the long they ball? The long I'm ball. very yeah. confused. I heard I, there was a commercial was like, that went there Yeah, a commercial that celebrated <laughs> the steroid era. Well <laughs> oh, done, yeah. Nike. And we're joined me. by a man who loves the Kansas City Royals, which means that by cosmic connection he also loves uh, the child labor that built the wealth of the, lo- the, the Royals' owner, David Glass. His
0: name is Mark Barry. How you doing, Mean Mark? I cannot say that any better right now. I don't know. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm sorry. That's child you. labor, tears, things like that. That's, that's, that's sure. your bag. Yeah, all right.
3: I mean, because like, like Louis C.K. says, it's like in America, it's like we can only really, really enjoy something if someone else is getting hurt somewhere. That's <laughs> true. Which is kind of true. It's a great line, by the way. So I got to tell you this. Uh-oh. I am so excited about the show this week <laughs> because not only are we going to talk about infamous Jameis Winston, which I find really interesting because of some of the people who are bailing on him right now, including an insanely famous athlete who has tried to mentor him who is from Jameis Winston's hometown of Bessemer, Alabama. I'll be saying who that is in a second. Uh, Coach thinks he knows who it is. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be talking to two of the St. Louis Rams stadium protesters, two of the people who organized it, Chantal Devon and Charles Modiano. Modi, a friend of the show. Wow. And we're going to be talking to Sekou Smith, mm-hmm. uh, the person who does the Hangtime blog on NBA.com. And when we talk to Sekou, uh, we're going to play a game that I know everybody out there loves, which is called Is Dave crazy at yes. first. Yeah. We got to pay for this. We'll be back right mm-hmm. after this.
1: Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide.
3: Boom, we're back here in Edge of Sports Radio joined by the coach coming out. How you doing, coach? My man. Me, Mark. how you doing, Me, Mark. Doing fine. My goodness, who has cost himself more money this week? Uh, whoever profits from the Dallas International, Fort Worth International Airport. I think they're probably hurting on some money right now. But also, Jameis Winston, a person who was seen as maybe the de facto number one pick in next year's NFL draft. I mean, now teams are lining up to tell Dodd McShay and Mel Hyper, oh. the draft XVSPN, that they would never draft Jameis Winston. I'll... Marcus Mariota. Mariota is the one who's probably profited the most yeah, from this. Right. But let's talk about Jameis Winston for a second. Jameis Winston, Heisman Trophy winner, 23-0, and I believe. Mm-hmm. This is his record as a starter, unbelievable. Uh, he is... Christine Brennan called him the amazingly still eligible Jameis Winston. He's preparing (laughs) to play Notre Dame this Saturday as if all is well and good. And, of course, Jameis Winston has now this off-the-field just – just just script of events I mean astride all of it is the incredibly serious one about sexual assault where there is a ton of evidence that Tallahassee police uh, played a role in trying to make that go away he's gonna face a civil suit from his accuser he's facing disciplinary actions from the school like which is an an incredible case Mm -hmm. where uh, they were able to delay it a year ago because of the season and now his lawyer is saying that because it was delayed, it's now prejudiced against him and he shouldn't have to face it. Now, that's what you call chutzpah. And, but, of course, there's all the other stuff. There's the stealing of the crab legs. There's shooting of the BB guns. There's uh, yelling, all the vulgar, violent, misogynistic stuff in the middle of the student union. And then there's this autograph issue, the same issue that Todd Gurley, Heisman Trophy and Canning for Georgia. Georgia, which no one's going to confuse with Northwestern, Georgia was like, Gurley, you're out of here. That's not the kind of program we run. You are suspended. Jameis Winston, the coach, Jimbo Fisher, was actually saying, hey, he's just signing stuff, and it shows up on a website. That's not his fault. <laughs> 950
0: signatures on an authenticated
3: sports website. Sometimes
0: you feel like signing 900 things, man.
3: Sometimes you're just in the mood for that. Yeah. And this is what Christine Brennan wrote because it's a great line. She said, It's hard to imagine an entire university led by supposedly intelligent people who don't wear football helmets turning into sycophants for one sports team. But that's exactly what has happened before our eyes at Jameis State, because that's what she's calling Florida State now, Jameis State. And what's interesting about this is because, you know— um, with the exception of the sexual assault accusation, and, you, and I, it's even bizarre to even say with the exception of that because I take that issue so incredibly seriously. Like all of these issues, like signing autographs, stealing a soda, these are exactly the kind of things that me personally, I usually am like on the side of the player. I mean the system is so ridiculous that this idea that crab legs or whatever says something about an individual – to me is kind of outrageous, and that's usually left to, to the moralizers, usually some of the same people who prop up an incredibly unjust system and putting it the weight of this unjust system on the players as if they're the ones who created it. That's usually where I am. But I found it very interesting that a, a middle-aged gentleman from Bessemer, Alabama, the same place where Jameis Winston is from, someone who has tried to advise Jameis Winston, has had enough of him. Someone who knows him intimately has decided that his head is so knuckley that he is just a knucklehead of all knuckleheads and nothing is going to get through. Coach, I I put the trivia question to you. Who do you think this person is from Bessemer, Alabama?
2: I, I said Dion initially, but it sounds like Barkley. Nope. No.
3: No? Nope. I have no idea. Mark, yes. you want to throw down with this?
2: That's Bo Jackson. That would be Bo Jackson. Oh, I, I don't want to talk about Bo Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> They're move actually on. very similar, on. though. Yeah. Move on. Two sport athletes? Bo got similar. a lot of... Let me tell you something. Bo's no angel. He never was.
3: Can I read you what Bo said? Yeah, sure. He said, <laughs> I'm up. the type of person... I will go out of my way to help anybody. Normally, I don't like Thank giving you. people advice. Thank you, Bo. Go. Just let me read, All man. Right. Normally, I don't like people giving advice if I haven't been down that road myself. But if I give you advice on something that I know more about than you by just falling out of bed in the morning, if you can't take that advice and learn from it, then I've got nothing else to do with the situation. You're on your own. And then Jackson would not specify exactly what he said to Winston, but this is what he said. He said, if I told you what I told him, it would probably singe the hair on your ears. I will lend you a hand, and if you take that hand for granted, I will yank it back and go about my business, go on about my life. That's how it is.
2: Thank you. Bo was no saint as a player before he got to Auburn and at Auburn. Now he's saying what he's saying now at 36, 37 with wisdom oh, on he's his much side. much older than that. Well, whatever. Oh, thank you. That's that that that. that he's got to be my almost case. fifty. If yeah. he was the eighty
3: seven Heisman Trophy winner, he really? He's got to be at least forty eight. Okay, so he's, he's learned something. years old.
2: The bottom line, he's learned something. Let me
3: tell you, What's came. wrong with that? He's learned something, right? And, and so he's trying will, to pass it on.
2: And so will Winston. There's so a huge don't, don't. difference. No, 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 no. Don't get up with this. Holy, holy, huge, I'm not. No, I'm, the, I'm not the you. I'm not you. I'm, ta- I'm, I'm talking about Bo. All
3: right, but I'm going to defend Bo here because I want to say with the huge and then, Mark, you jump in if you mm-hmm. want to. But there's a huge difference. And the difference is the amount of media attention these athletes are under means right. that unless you and you know, if people want to do this, more power to them. But unless you want to cost yourself. Millions of dollars, unless you want to do that. Unless that, I mean, unless you're Johnny Manziel and you're just like, I would just rather party than care about being a top five pick. Fine, I'll be the 22nd pick and have to play behind Brian Hoyer or whatever he was. Maybe forever. Yeah, maybe forever. Or or on (laughs) a different team. They're already talking about trading Manziel, which is very interesting. But it's just it goes back to this issue of does Jameis Winston want? I mean, if I was advising Jameis Winston, I'd be like, quit the damn team, join the Peace Corps. And come back for the and I know it's all BS. I'm aware of that.
2: I'm aware of that. Let Mark talk. Mark. I'm I'm, fire, I'm on fire. here. <laughs> I'm, I want to take you I mean, on, Bo on. Go, Mark. I, I mean the the Bo Jackson <laughs> thing.
0: It's you're either one way or the other about it. I'm shocked. The person with the complete lack of any moral compass at this point that just like disgusts I know me. What you're say. It's Jimbo Fisher. It's Jimbo Fisher. It's just Wrong. it's shocking. Right. He's like I. It's like I'm on his side. If there was signatures. I don't know. I don't know what's going on at this point. He's a good kid. The the fact that he's out there so proudly being like i don't know i'm on his side it's fine he's the i i can't envision a scenario where he would criticize Jameis winston it's unbelievable yeah. too i uh,
3: although although at the same time and you know if you look at it's so funny like i read this article about jimbo fisher's contract he, his base salary, and I'm putting only in quotation marks because it's a hell of a lot more than I make, but his base salary is only $200,000, yet he makes $4 million a year. Mm-hmm. That gap between 200000 and $4 million is a whole series of incentives Well, and, that Jameis Winston helps him meet. There you
2: go. And this leads into my point. First of all, Al McGuire said, 30 years ago, the best thing about freshmen is become sophomores. James Winston's doing a lot of idiotic things. He will grow up. And by the way, he will be. He's better than 16 quarterbacks in the NFL right now. He's going to be top five. Forget it. Uh, book it. He's going to be top okay. five. Now, I'll, I'll make you that bet here's right part now. Two. I'll make you
3: that bet right now that he will not be a top five uh, NFL uh, draft. Your top favorite? ten. I'll uh, give you top ten. Diet soda He <laughs> will be
2: top five. Top, now, won't be here's the other point. Mr. Um, uh, Kelly at Notre Dame is making $4 million. And, you know, so, and it's being painted how you got the good Golden Dome people playing the bad bullies from Florida State. Now, what you got here, now let's talk about Notre Dame. Because you had um, the student fall off the, the tower, 20-year-old Declan Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Okay. And talking about accountability and stepping up, uh, Kelly's, Kelly was- I wrote an article athlete. that the entire program should right. be co- Okay. Be the quarterback, by the way, which is nothing, we aren't, we aren't talking oh, classes. Man. We're yeah. talking about silly stuff, you know, taking crab legs. The quarterback- uh, uh, honor code, uh, uh, academic violation, misses the year. Yeah. Then Full he comes sense. back this year, four people, four starters, get the same thing. Kelly doesn't Still even go back. to the podium the press conference. The uh, the, the uh, university president and A.D. go. Kelly's nowhere to be found. When he asks him about it, he says, oh, I'm shocked and disappointed. No stand-up, no accountability. He's making $4 million. So, you know, I have I, no I, love for Brian I, Kelly, and, I, and I'll tell you this. That's my I, point. I'm just trying to say, yeah. I, and I get out of here. All this is happening, and you know the the, um, the allegations about the autographs are coming up this week, just because of the one number one versus two game. That this is a one versus five. The timing I'm questionable. The timing over here, and I personally say Jameis is going to be top five.
0: I'm
3: out of that. Last word
0: to you, Mark. <laughs> I think we can all agree that. Major college football in the NCAA. It's morally bankrupt. It's yes, terrible. Whether it's Notre Dame, whether it's Florida State, <laughs> and ultimately with this autograph thing, it comes to light because that's an, uh, someone who purveys and sells the autographs was upset that Gurley and and Winston were kind of cutting them out on money, which is why it comes to light. And didn't
2: Georgia have uh, a a stadium full where they were selling autographs? You can buy a ticket for twenty five dollars, come to the stadium, of course, and it's then disgusting. all the, all the players sat around on tables and signed autographs. Of
3: course, it's get disgusting. out of here, man. You don't even guys know your are name. Crazy. Why are we crazy? I agree with you. Oh, that's yeah. that's that's bizarre. Well, maybe that's that you'd say that. You know what? I'm so given the moral sewer that is college football and <laughs> this whole story. I'm so glad that we're after the break going to talk to Chantal Devon and Charles Modiano because they're going to talk to us about trying to use the power of sports for good down in St. Louis. We'll be back right after this.
1: Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin. We'll return after this. Dave Zirin returns on Edge of Sports Radio, where sports and politics collide.
3: Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio, our first guests. They helped choreograph and organize the demonstration that took place during Monday Night Football when the San Francisco 49ers took on the St. Louis Rams in St. Louis. If you were watching that game on ESPN, you did not see this protest. Dozens of people in the stands at the stadium in St. Louis. Uh, they were there raising this issue as part of Ferguson. October, they were raising the issue because Michael Brown was shot uh, six times. He was not armed. Officer Darren Wilson, still free. So happy to have him on the show. Their names are Chantal Devon and Charles Modiano. How you folks doing?
4: We're
3: great. I'm going to run through all the questions. I'm going to hopefully I can get through all this. I want to know why you decided to hit Monday Night Football. I want to talk about how you organized it. I want to talk about how the fans reacted and I want to ask you what's next. What's the next plan to bring sports and politics together <laughs> on this issue of Ferguson? If we get through all that, we can all smoke a uh, virtual cigarette afterwards. So so let's start <laughs> let's start with why. Why did you decide to take the protests of Ferguson October to Monday night football? Uh-
5: that's a really good question. Uh, we've had several protests that have been happening since the murder of Mike Brown, and a culmination of that this past weekend, Ferguson October, was the, pro- the national protest where folks from all across the country came and descended upon, ascended upon rather, St. Louis County. And it, w- it was a good protest. We had great numbers. We had estimates of over about 3,000 people. But the reality is St. Louis, St. Louis County has a metropolitan area of over a million people. And so when we look at those numbers comparatively, we say, how do we get this message to the masses? And there's no better masses than Monday Night Football. And a a vision that has always stuck with us when you saw the picture of Mike Brown's coffin is that there was a St. Louis Cardinals cap placed on his coffin. He was a son of this city, and he is a fan of these games and of these teams. He is raised in this area. And when we want to raise awareness, you have to take awareness to where the people are. And so we decided that we wanted to give fans an opportunity to join us. And so we were not protesting the team. We're not protesting the fans. We're protesting injustice, and we're asking fans to join us Mm. in that protest.
4: Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. There was a total... Uh, um, group effort, you know, there's been so many protests, even went on that same day and Monday at Walmart. You had Occupy St. Louis University still going on, doing teach-ins every night. You had uh, Dr. West getting arrested in the morning. This is part of a um, overall resistance. But what I think makes football so um, profound is that people are coming in to cheer black lives. And we want to ask the question, what exactly are you cheering? Do you really care about the individuals or just your fantasies? stats. What's going on here? Because you cannot separate what is going on on the field and you're cheering for what is going on off the field with Mike Brown or Trayvon who was killed right outside at halftime of the All-Star game. You have to address this dichotomy. And if black lives matter on the field, they must matter off the field. You have to root for Mike Brown, not only if Mike Brown could run really fast or jump really high. Sorry, mm. that's not enough. So this is a, a very important point, and sports is a very natural fit into um, uh, the connection to what we're doing for justice for Mike Brown and uh, arrest of Darren Wilson and far beyond that
3: okay so we did why now let's talk about the how everybody knows that getting into a stadium I mean basically they're doing everything short but checking your your most private areas to figure out if you're taking you know but it's more like no outside food you know but but and you guys are going in to do an action how uh, how did you were you guys able to assemble everybody in one section? How were you able to bring in those signs? Uh, how were you able to do it?
5: It did take a lot of coordination and planning on the outside uh, you know for some who had never really done anything like that I think they felt like they were in a Mission Impossible movie we had hundred-pound <laughs> college students that were wrapped in ten-pound banners uh, and, and just researching the rules and regulations of the stadium what the back policy is what type of signs would be allowed we knew specifically that it was allowable to have banners and signs as long as you have the Rams name on there as long as you have the team's name on there so we we weren't anti-team. Uh, we, we really put a lot of thought behind what kind of message we wanted to send. And it was a great deal of coordination to get all of those materials in. But the interesting thing about a stadium culture is that once you get in, yep. nobody really cares what you're doing once you're inside. And so – It was also a little bit uh, difficult to get folks we had trained to be more covert about getting in to be a little less timid once we were in there, Ah. uh, to get them to relax a little bit and really enjoy the game. So that was part of the coordination and a little bit of difficulty in getting the signs coordinated because people were very afraid of what was going to happen to them, not only from security or police, but also from the fans. You know, I'm glad you
3: said that last part, Chantal. Mm -hmm. And then, Charles, you answer this one here because I'm glad you said that last part because I imagine some of the intimidation is, of course, you know, you're doing something that you're not supposed to do that doesn't usually happen at sports. But then I'm sure people also are thinking, like, there's going to be a very male kind of vibe with a lot of alcohol. What's that reaction going to be like? Yeah. <laughs> well,
4: right.
5: I'm sorry. Go ahead, Charles.
4: Well, I was just going to say that intimidation is well-founded. Every protest throughout Fergus has been met with incredible intimidation. So just this weekend uh, at Shaw after the uh, killing of Von Derrick, the police were there in riot gear, and they were banging on their shields. It was very intimidating. And I don't know if this made the news. They're still sending out tear gas, okay? And I know this because I felt it with my own eyes. It's not in the same canister way that happened um, weeks ago in August, there's some seeping of it. So Mm -hmm. it's like, we'll just give you enough to go down the block, you know, but not run down the block. And you feel the burning in your eyes and you know what it is. Individuals were maced this past weekend, completely unnecessary. I was there. You uh, you speak to Tory Russell, he was maced, he had an allergic reaction. And instead of being in that first few minutes of um, trauma, he was in there for almost an hour. It was terrible. So this intimidation is going on. So there's a of whatever you do, however you protest, you're going to be intimidated, and that has uh, uh, is well founded.
6: Well,
3: we know um, they're not going when, to when tear I'll... gas people inside the stadium, which is a plus. Right, yeah. right, exactly,
4: right, exactly.
5: Right. I, I think that's a, I think that's an interesting juxtaposition because mo- all of the protesters who were there had been protesting outside uh, in Ferguson, in St. Louis County, in a variety of different neighborhoods, and so they had been prepared for this very negative response from police because that's what they've gotten. They've gotten such indignation and such disrespect. That that's what they were prepared for. But to the venue's credit, the police there conducted themselves very professionally. They, they did not engage with us negatively. They didn't ask us to stop chanting. They didn't ask us to remove our signs. They stood on each side of the stands where we were. And in my opinion, they were not only saying, okay, we're going to stand here to make sure that no violence ensues, but they were also looking at other fans to ensure that nothing negative broke out from at least a physical perspective from those fans as well. There was a lot of verbal vitriol. I mean, you know, there's always a combination of vitriol and alcohol at any sporting event, and a lot of it was hurled at us. But they were there to ensure that at least no physical altercations happened. And they didn't ask us to leave.
6: Mm. Uh, So
5: everything was orderly. We chanted for a long time. And the longer we chanted and the longer we disrupted uh, people's ability to watch the game, the more vitriolic the fans became. Uh, But we left of our own accord. We marched down chanting, hands up, don't shoot. And we never had a negative interaction with any of the police or security forces inside the stadium. Now, when you walk outside of the stadium, as Charles just mentioned, it completely changed and shifted mm. and so you have to ask yourself why is that why were you know part of it part cameras of the reason, yep. reason we decided to exactly and then part of the reason we decided to buy those tickets is because we are fans we have earned the right to be here we purchased a ticket to be in this seat we didn't crash the party you know we didn't sneak in we bought tickets to be there mm. if
3: anything your it. experience is a great argument for the people who want to make sure that all cops have cameras on them because it, you know even though there are all kinds of ways that that can be manipulated and it's not and in no way shape or form is that a cure all it definitely changes behavior. We got two more minutes and I got to ask you this. There just happens to be a sporting event happening mighty soon in the city of St. Louis as the St. Louis Cardinals try to stay alive against the San Francisco Giants. It's 3 games to 1. Are there any protest plans for the Cardinal playoff game?
4: Yes, yes, there is. We're going to be outside the stadium. Um, There's a young group that's been out, was out there last week. You heard about the last playoff game last week. Young group called Lost Voices who have been on the ground every day. Most are between 16 and 24. They're courageous. When a lot of people weren't marching, they continue to march. They'll continue to be there. Others will continue to join them. It's very much a youth-led movement, which has been so incredible to watch. And I I want to say something about Hands Up United, who supported most of those tickets, at that Rams game and Hands Up United and all the organizations here at Ferguson have been doing just tremendous, tremendous work. Please donate to
3: them. Oh, so donate where? How do you donate to them?
4: Um, you go to the Hands, Hands Up United, United website, United. you could go to Lost Voices for the young people. There are many others as well. You could see in Hands Up United there are other organizations, but there's some great organizations. Like I said, Lost Voices, Hands Up United, and many of the other organizations you'll see as part of Hands Up United. Well, that's And def- we're
5: hoping that this spills over, over. We're mm-hmm. hoping that people realize that if you are an American citizen who is offended, that another American citizen can be gunned down in the middle of the street, that this is – something that you need to get involved in that a police officer who is required to operate inside the law Gunned down an American citizen unlawfully That it doesn't have to be at a Cardinals game Or at a Rams game This is an American citizen issue And just because it's starting with black lives Doesn't make it less relevant But you it, can it, protest at any game We're trying to get this message out to the masses And this is where masses congregate This is where our citizens congregate To participate in their favorite pastime And you know, this is an emergency So we plan to interrupt your regularly scheduled programming and you, That's just the reality of it
3: Chantal Devon, Charlie Charles Modiano, it really comes down to what kind of world people want to live in. And I think absolutely. you guys are uh, doing absolutely amazing work. Anything we can do to amplify and support that on Edge of Sports Radio is something we're very proud to do. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thanks. Thank you. Much
3: appreciated. Much appreciated. Amazing folks. Chantal Devon, Charles Modiano, they're locals. We're gonna have to bring them back here and have a party for them or something.
2: Dave, thank you. That was a good get, man. Uh, that was a and, good get uh, illuminating, informative, and moving for me anyway. And, um, and I'm sure Mark would say the same. That's that's good. I really appreciate that, man.
3: We gotta go to break right now. We back after this with Seiko Smith. 2 one, one, two,
2: three, don't want move. Dave Zyron will be right
1: back with more Edge of Sports Radio. You're listening to Edge of Sports Radio with Dave Zirin.
3: Boom, we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. Our next guest does the NBA Hangtime blog at NBA.com, one of the sharpest NBA cats I know, and that's exactly why I like to ask him if he thinks that I am crazy with my preseason picks. Yes. Let's see what he <laughs> has to say, someone who he actually knows something about this game. His name is Sekou Smith. Sekou, how you doing, sir? I'm
6: good, fellas. How y'all doing? All right. Very good
3: well. First and foremost, am I crazy? I believe that even with the Durant injury in Oklahoma City, that the team treads water for eight weeks and the Oklahoma City Thunder make the NBA Finals.
6: I think you need a thorough examination. I think this is a much different uh, deal than when Kevin Durant you know, is holding the fort down while Russell Westbrook is injured. You know, Westbrook doesn't have the same kind of lift-you-up impact on that team I think that Durant does when he's out. So it's going to be difficult. Uh, they're deep and talented, obviously. And Scott Brooks has been at this for a while, so they're familiar with each other. But making the finals, I'm not even sure they make the conference finals. That team, to me, hasn't continued its descent from making the finals a few years ago. To me, they need some tweaks to their operation in terms of uh, their chemistry as a group, before they can get back to the finals.
3: I think Sekou might be feeling very favorable about the L.A. Clippers. Is this correct, Sekou? Yeah,
6: I mean, I just don't think that the Thunder are a finals team this year. You know, I didn't think they were when, when Durant was healthy. I think we've, they've had some flaws in their operation exposed the last couple of years that need to be fixed, and they haven't fixed
3: and, and And so who do you like in the NBA Finals from the West at this point?
6: Right now, like the Spurs or the Clippers.
3: Um mm.
6: as my two favorite teams to, to come out of the West and and my third team wouldn't be the
3: Thunder either. My third team would be Golden State. Hey now. Mm-hmm. Wow, someone's got a lot of belief in Steve Kerr. Um hey,
2: quick quick on the Clippers. They the rumors have it that uh, uh the forward I'm drawing. Blake Griffin. Blake, I'm sorry, sorry about that guys. That Blake has added a jump shot. If he does, and if that's accurate, and first of all you can tell if if he has or not how high would he be? Would he be top five?
6: I don't know if he's top five, and I think the rumors are true. I mean, if you've seen him at all throughout this preseason, if you watched him all towards the end of last season, you you could see that he worked hard on his, his jump shot, his face-up shot, and it had developed to the point where he's consistent with it. I mean, I watched a preseason game last week where he knocked down four or five in a row. I mean, mm. it's not like this is some foreign shot for him anymore. Um, and that's the belief you have in the Clippers is that They've developed their big men, particularly Blake and DeAndre Jordan to the point where they're ready to lean on them, come playoff time, and become a team that can grind its way to the champ you know, to at least their championship level. So mm. we'll see. But I think Blake's continued development is the biggest yeah. you know factor going forward for the Clippers. If he continues to develop the way he has the past couple of years, he's got a chance to lead them to places they haven't been before as a franchise.
3: Am I crazy? I'm yes. looking at the East I see Cleveland needing a year to gel. I see the Bulls depending on a very iffy Derrick Rose given his injury history. And I see the Wizards being able to steal the Eastern Conference. Am I crazy? Yeah,
6: you, you are flat-out psychotic. Wow. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, why would Cleveland need time... To blend together the kind of star power they put together. There's no reason to assume that Cleveland is going to wait around for a year for the the mold to set before they really go after a championship. They're going for it now. They've got the pieces in place. David Blatt was the one guy who I was wondering, how would he transition? You know, He's the real rookie of this bunch. Sure. he NBA waters, you know, dipping his toes in the NBA waters for the first time. He, he looks like he's in a group. The only thing that holds Cleveland back to me this year is injuries. If they get an injury to one of their big guys, it's going to set them back. And there's not enough margin for error right now in the East, you know, for them to just run away with anything. Washington, to me, is a surprise team. But like everybody else, they got to stay healthy, which obviously with Bradley Beal's situation, a couple weeks they're already behind eight ball in that department. A
3: couple of weeks, but when Paul Pierce is chasing a championship before he retires and he says, I want to go to Washington, I mean, that's a powerful statement, No. No,
6: uh, let's let's not kid ourselves about who and what Paul Pierce is at this stage of his career, Dave. I mean, he's a Hall of Feature Hall of Famer. I think he's a great player, you know, over the course of his career. But he's not the, he's not the Paul Pierce that you can rely on the way Boston could in 2008 or 2009. Um, I, I think it'd be foolish of us to assume he's still that Paul Pierce. He's the truth,
3: well, the whole
6: truth. But
3: maybe you know, not nothing but the truth maybe he's the truth like the sun revolves around the earth like a truth that existed <laughs> in a previous epoch, but not today. okay, l- let me ask you this because this go- going one question back, am I crazy? And I really think the Achilles heel for Cleveland is actually Kyrie Irving because they're gonna they're basically what? gonna ask him to be b j. Armstrong and spot up for threes and not have the ball in his hands, and that's gonna cause tension.
6: No, I don't think that's what they're going to ask him to do by any stretch.
3: Thank um,
2: you.
6: I think they're going to ask him to be the catalyst for that team, and I think LeBron is, at this stage of his career is going to be fine with that.
2: Thank because you. Because LeBron has learned
6: how catalyst? to play with other great players. I don't think he needs to be a guy who proves himself. He doesn't have to go out and prove himself gets, you know, nice a year to, to convince people that he's the greatest player in the game. Um, this is his opportunity to show that he can not only take a step aside, not necessarily a step back, but allow Kyrie to shine and continue to develop without impeding that, and I think when you add Kevin love to that mix uh, and the way he gets stretch the floor, they got young guys like Tristan Thompson, Andy Bejo was a veteran guy They got every piece you could ask for for a championship team. I think LeBron knows that he knew that when he came into Cleveland and made sure they continue to build that team that way, and they 're poised for uh you know a run right now this is not a this is not a microwave uh situation where you got to wait for the popcorn to get done popping. It's already popped, ready to go.
3: Mm. All right, am I crazy? My surprise ascendant playoff team in the East is the Stan Van Gundy-led Detroit Pistons. Hmm.
6: No, you're not crazy. I'm talking like a seven
3: seed, like a seven seed. Yeah, the bottom
6: of the East is wide open for a lot of different teams, if you ask me. Um, And I think Detroit, depending on how they get their chemistry this year, and Stan's going to make a huge difference. I just don't know if I trust Brandon Jennings to be the guy who runs that team and gets them to that spot you're talking about. I don't know yet if I if I believe in him as the the point guard and the floor leader of that team to make that happen. They got too many difficult pieces that you're gonna have to work with: Josh Smith, Andre Drummond, these guys. They got too many of those guys to work with for me to be convinced that Brandon Jennings is the guy that's gonna bring it all together.
2: Plus, right? plus, you're not a, you're not a big fan of Greg Monroe. We talked about that this summer, correct?
3: No,
6: I mean, I, I think Greg Monroe's a solid player, but I don't think he's some max contract contract difference maker that some people seem to believe he is. Yeah,
3: gotcha. I'm not one of those people. I just think the East is booty at the bottom, and Stan Van Gundy and Andre <laughs> Drummond are difference makers. And Drummond, speaking of yeah. the bottom, am I crazy? And I'm yes. talking about a team that won 60 games last year. Am I crazy? I don't think the Pacers win 30 games this year. I don't
6: know. I, I think they got enough to win... 35 to to 40 games and try and scrap out that eighth spot in the East if it's, you know, if that's where we're at. But they're by no means anything close to the team they were a year ago. And we sat down on the hang time road trip with Larry Bird last week, got on the bus with us, and we talked about it. There's no, you know, there are no delusions about who and what they are in Indiana anymore. I mean, they know that this is a step back year and that they're going to have to try and stay afloat and see if they can, stay in that playoff mix, but by no means do they believe they're a championship contender right now, and, and, and rightfully so. I applaud them for not being foolish like some of these other franchises and trying to sell people on the side that they're going to take a championship when they know they're
3: not. Well, did you ask Larry, and then Coach, jump right mm-hmm. in, did you did you ask Larry Bird why they didn't even pony up 10 mil a year to keep Lance Stevenson? It seems like him going for nine a year is one hell of an off-season bargain.
6: Well, I mean, that's a funny thing. We asked him about it, and, you know, he said they put an offer out there that they felt was fair. I would tell you this, and we talked to Lance last week as well in Philadelphia on our road trip. I would tell you this. Speaking with Lance and and speaking with him about the way things ended in the playoffs with him being kind of the scapegoat for everything that went wrong had more to do with him taking off for Charlotte than any contract figures did. Mm -hmm. I don't think think it was about money for him. I I don't think Lance felt – like, the guys in Indiana had his back, and he wanted to go somewhere where he felt like he could play in an environment and on a team where, where they would support him. And he and Kimball Walker are going to be one of the most formidable backcourts in the league this year. Um, and, I, and, and, again, I, I just don't think he trusted the, the other guys in that locker room anymore in Indiana.
2: Wow. Which, which leads to my question I was going to ask. What about, and I can't say, I I know I'm crazy for asking this, because we're talking about a Michael Jordan-owned team, but where is Charlotte? Can they get as high as maybe a four or five seat?
6: I don't think that's ridiculous. I don't think it's ridiculous at all to, to assume that while others fall back to the pack, they'll they'll continue to ascend and move up. Mm-hmm. And they've got the people with a healthy Al Jefferson and Kimba, you know, and Lance and the rest of that team that's assembled there. They got a chance. You know, Steve Clifford's a – a fantastic coach who came into a situation where he recognized, hey, we got, we got a bell cow down low, which most teams don't have. Right. Mm-hmm. If we put the right pieces around them, we can ride this thing to the playoffs. They did that. Al Jefferson got hurt. They didn't get to have the kind of showing they wanted to against Miami in the first round. But all of those pieces there are back, and then you get you know a guy who could be a difference maker. Lance Stevenson has the talent to be a difference maker for Charlotte, and it's just a matter of can they bring it all together quickly enough to take advantage of the opportunity of sitting there, you know, with all of the different, you know, fluctuations going on with different
3: teams. Am I crazy, or do the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers not win ten games this year?
6: Oh boy, you are just—you're not crazy. You're just evil. You're just wrong. Come There's on no, now. No way. They gotta win at least twelve.
3: I mean, <laughs> talking about trading MCW <laughs> is what I read the other day that he's—they would even consider trading him for draft picks. Really?
6: Yeah. You know what's crazy about it? That's and crazy. We said, mm-hmm. We sat down and talked with Sixer CEO Scott O'Neill. People in Philly are buying into this idea that they got to get absolutely just deplorable before they get better, and that that's what you course. know. And that's where they're headed. I mean, they're they're in store for you know, they got another season of just diabolically bad basketball ahead of them, based on the roster and the personnel you see they put together. But they believe that that's the only way they get better. And they're, they're willing to wait on Nerlens Noel and Joel Embiid. And you hope they don't burn Michael Carter-Williams
0: yes. you know,
6: down to the ground in terms of his game and his confidence while trying to do so because you got a young talent coming off a rookie of the year season that you want to be able to you know, keep water in his game and build around him eventually. But if you beat him down with another horrible season and he feels like he's playing for nothing, um, you run the risk of, of really turning that thing in the wrong direction.
3: Yeah, as a young man, too. I mean, just beating him down, Say Sekou Smith, uh, once again, the I mean, man. he's so good. All right, last one, MVP. Uh, if if I say you can have LeBron and Durant and I will take the field, who's going to win that bet, you or me? Good
6: question. Actually, yeah, that's a great, great question. Um, I'm going to win the bet because, generally speaking, the best players in the league, you know, there's, there's no doubt, one of the two or three best players win the MVP. We're not going to have a year where Steve Nash wins it back-to-back years when there were other candidates that I think we all know were just as or more deserving than he was. I mean, I think we've moved beyond that era now where people are not going to get fatigued to vote for somebody else because they're tired of voting for this guy or Mm -hmm. this, that, and the other. I will say this. if If you throw out some dark horse candidates for MVP, early on this season, the field should be wide open. Blake Griffin... Steph Curry, all these different guys are going to be in the mix. My Dark Horse guy is LaMarcus Aldridge. I think he's the guy, if Mm. he gets off to a hot start, he could get in that MVP mix and and really uh, entrench himself as the league's preeminent power forward. Because Kevin Love's going to have to take a step back. His game's Mm going to have to to be curved a little bit to play with LeBron and Kyrie in that situation in Cleveland, so he might not put up those same monster numbers we've seen out of him.
3: Yeah, my Dark Horse, Anthony Davis, just putting that out there. Just putting it out there. I love Anthony
6: Davis' game, but I think they're going to struggle in the wins department. Yeah, to the 32 wins.
3: Okay, interesting stuff. Sekou Smith, after this discussion, the I'm man. convinced that I'm crazy.
2: He is crazy. I would
3: just remind everybody that, Sekou, you called me crazy a year ago. And, and I, did, I did pretty well for myself.
2: <laughs> this cat knows no basketball, what? Sekou. And we're here what? with him every, time, every day. You just come in on occasions, man. See what we deal with.
3: Oh, oh. Hey, Sekou Smith, thanks so much for joining us. Bye, guys. Thank you. Oh, man. That was Seku Smith. All right. Hey, we got to go to break. Uh, We'll be back right after this to wrap up the show.
1: Dave Zirin will continue with Edge of Sports Radio after the break. Edge of Sports Radio returns. Here's Dave Zirin.
3: Boom. we're back here on Edge of Sports Radio. One last thing before we go. We were talking a little bit about Jameis Winston off the air. A couple quick points. Mark, first to you, because you didn't get to say it. Where do you see Jameis Winston going NFL draft?
0: I think he, he fits that perfect mold of being if somebody right about the spot of 8 or 9 or so could like reach on him and draft him there. But if he doesn't get drafted there, he could fall a la Aaron Rodgers and Johnny Manziel down into the 20s, somebody trading back up into the first round.
3: Mm. And Coach, you think... Everybody's guilty on this Jameis Winston story.
2: Everybody's guilty on this, Dave, because if you sit up here and, uh, um, first of all, like, uh, SI and put Monique Davis on the cover and think this is a good thing for a 14-year-old to be on the cover sports sports history, this is what happened to Jameis Winston. Ever since he was five years old, he was the biggest, the best, the fastest, the strongest-armed athlete, and everybody looked the other way with instances. Everybody gave him privilege and access, so now he's run amok. But everybody that patted him on the shoulder and said, You're okay. You're the man. You're great. You're going to be a star. You're NFL bound. And criticizing him now are just as guilty. But all that speaks to, Coach,
3: to me, is the gap that exists now between the entitled culture of yes. youth sports yes. and the way in which the magnifying glass in pro sports and college sports, because they're so profitable, is so incredibly profound. And that's a disconnect that's going to have to work itself out. Because you cannot survive, I don't think, as a coddled prodigy once you're under the media glare. Because people hate coddled prodigies who get away from things. Frankly, part of it is out of envy, but a lot of it is also just because
2: it's obnoxious. Social media can be a posse or it can be a lynch mob.
3: You, you know He's who, becoming
2: more of a lynch mob. I'm sorry. Uh, that's
3: all
0: right. You, you know who avoided that
2: college. I don't use college? the word
3: lynch mobs for things that aren't actually lynch mobs. Fair.
0: But that's just okay. me. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, it's like who 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 also had this like huge spotlight and just kind of avoided everything through college was LeBron James. I mean, the same. Mm-hmm. Thing he didn't go to college. Through. I know exactly. Yeah. He didn't. Yeah. He skipped through college, yeah. went straight to the pros, and everything. Yeah. Which
3: and is, and, and LeBron also was somebody who it seemed like his first couple of years everybody was waiting to mess up. Yes. Yeah. And then and he, he didn't. Did. Mm-hmm. He's LeBron. If they could slam his mother, they would do that. You know, just anything and they did yeah. do that yeah. I mean just yes, yes, but yeah. it's unbelievable but you know that's the world I in which we live in and yeah. what's so upsetting too is how few grown-ups exist who can actually be that kind of mentoring bridge for the young athlete as they move on hey this is Edge of Sports Radio because there's no money in it mm-hmm. I'm Dave Zirin <laughs> we'll be back next week we are out of here peace
1: Edge of Sports Radio where sports and politics collide tune in next week and go to edgeofsports.com